you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. All right, of course, chats today, we've got back Dr. Raquel Butler. So Dr. Raquel Butler's a vet. Um, she was in vet practice for oh, almost 10 years, and she's been specialising. We'll talk a little bit more about that with Raquel, but before we do that, I'd just like to remind you that International Horse College, or Austin Tech Academy, was born out of a need to improve safety in the horse industry while considering the welfare of horses. So if you're a horse person who holds these values and you'd like to gain government accredited qualifications within the horse industry, then have a look at the wide variety of flexible course options at internationalhorsecollege.com. All right, now, Raquel, are you there? Yes, hi, Gwyneth. Oh, great to talk to you. It's been a little while. Yeah. But today we're talking about the horse's fascia, okay? I just want to go through that. Now, we've talked to you so many times before, and you did about 10 years or almost 10 years just as a general practice vet before you really specialised, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did 10 years um, in mixed practice and then um, went into bodywork for animals, um, so qualified in biomechanical medicine, which is chiropractic, osteopathy and rehab, um, along with a number of other therapies like muscle release therapy, um, ta kinesiology taping, and yeah, had my own business in that for seven years. Well, I still have my own business in that, but I've been teaching at Charles Sturt University for the last four years. Um, so yeah, that's my background, but I have my own business, Integrated Veterinary Therapeutics. And I think you do some work with Sharon May Davis as well, don't you? Yeah, I've been a vet now for 20, nearly 20 years, but I was a vet for in mixed practice for 10 years before branching into body work, so branched into muscle release therapy or bone therapy, and then qualified in biomechanical medicine, which is osteopathy, chiropractic and rehabilitation for animals. Um, and then developed my own business, Integrated Veterinary Therapeutics, treating dogs and cats and horses full-time um, in body work for seven years and then started teaching at Charles Sturt University in equine science. And Sharon May Davis, yeah, she's been my amazing mentor along the way. She has taught me a lot about anatomy and biomechanics and um, I've yeah got to attend, I think, nearly 20 dissections with her. So I've been very lucky to assist her in, in dissections in Australia and um, overseas. So, yeah, very, very, um, very lucky. And I think, you know, there's she's certainly got a great name for the dissections and the details Absolutely. she goes into. And I think if anyone yep. has a chance to attend one of those, certainly just jump in, jump in and just go, Highly yep, reckon. I'll do it. Yep, yep. Now, before we all we'll get started, because we're going to talk today about the fascia, can you tell us, like, what is the fascia? What part of the body? I know we talked about the hyoid, and before, you know, when you first sent me through some information about the hyoid, I had to go and have a look. I had to have a look and see where the hyoid was. So, so tell us, what is the fascia? Yeah, so fascia is something that, like, as a vet, I didn't think was important at all, um, didn't yeah, wasn't something that we discussed um, throughout vet school. It's just something you cut through to, to get into the deeper layers of surgery. But 
Yeah, it's a multi-dimensional um, dynamic, we call it tensegrity structure, which I'll explain in a moment, that covers and invests into all the muscles, the organs, the nerves, the blood vessels, surrounds the bones, and it creates an interconnection throughout the entire body. So what I mean by tensegrity, so tensegrity allows the body to balance the, the bones. So the bones are kind of held up in a state of compression um, in all dimensions. Oh, um, through, sorry, the balance tension that's created by the fascia. So the fascia is kind of keeping it all together so that our bones don't just collapse into compression because then we wouldn't be able to have all of the different mobilities um, that we and, and the horses have. So it allows for the expansion and compression in all dimensions um, when it's working optimally so that all the forces can be distributed throughout the body and they're not getting kind of blocked in a certain area. But if there is a blockage in the fascia, so it might be from an injury or it could just be, say, a spinal restriction or, you know, perhaps some inflammation somewhere, then that's going to interrupt the flow of the forces um, through the fascia and through the body. And that's going to end up in other restrictions, compensations, and then set up for like potential injury. And then, and it will break at its weakest point because that the energy needs to flow throughout the entire body for everything to work optimally. So, yeah, it's a pretty important structure and they now describe it as an organ in its own right, even though, you know, we think of organs being in just a specific area, but this one is covering everything. So it's very important. So what's it actually made of then? Yeah, so fascia is made of actually 90% water, which is quite amazing considering its strength. And then the, the rest of the composition is collagen and elastin kind of microtubules, an extracellular matrix that is between the cells of the fascia. So there are cells in fascia and they're called fibroblasts. And those cells make the collagen and the extracellular matrix. And then also within that extracellular matrix around the cells and the, and the collagen and elastin and microtubules, it contains what's called a ground substance, other proteins and, and ions that promote the absorption of water. So water and hydration is really important for fascial health. And then there's many different types of fascia actually throughout the body. So it's not all the same in its thickness, in its elasticity. It has um, different kind of collagen, cellular and extracellular matrix compositions within the fascia. And one of the thickest areas of fascia in the horse is actually over their back, um, which is really important because that's obviously where we sit. The other thing is that fascia has actually been identified to incorporate nerves and receptors that contribute to body awareness and proprioception. So it's not just a structure that's covering and sliding across all the things that it attaches to, but it's really important for body control and, and awareness and feedback to the brain and to the structures that it's surrounding. Sounds like it's going to influence the function of the horse. Is there a connection between the fascia of different areas that would influence the function of the horse? Yeah, it's so important in the function of the horse. Um, so, so important and especially you know, with all of the, kind of the, the internal and external influencing factors, which we'll get on to. But so Ricky Schultz and Vibka Elbrond um, have written a couple of papers now on fascial lines that they've dissected out. So they've dissected 10 lines, um, the deep and superficial 
uh, deep and dorsal and ventral lines. So these run across the top of the horse and um, along the bottom of the horse. Then there's the functional line, which has a connection from the inside of the shoulder and it kind of wraps around the hind end and comes back to there. And then the spiral line, which actually has three crossings over the body. Um, and the protraction and retraction lines of the fall, in which are basically what uh, allow movement or you know promote movement of the fall in forward and back. So when that's restricted, those lines can be restricted. And those fascial lines are really important because they actually have connections. You know, they show through dissections the connections from the front to the back. So, for example, the dorsal line goes from the back foot all the way up through the hamstrings, over the back, um, through the neck area, and it ends behind the eye. Wow. So wow. It's, yeah, it's quite amazing that we've now been able to show these, these connections physically through dissection um, that the hind foot is connected to the to the jaw, for example, and um, how important that that is. Um, and then the fact that some of those lines cross the body multiple times means that you can, you know, get restrictions where the body is quite twisted. And I was, um, yeah, treating a horse the other day where you know, I was working on the hind end and the f- he was holding the head crooked and I didn't touch the head. I just worked on the hind end and the head straightened up. So that's the importance of, of understanding those um, connections. And in some of the dissections with Sharon, um, we've seen some of these fascial connections too, say from the hoof. So she will show a demonstration of the fascia attaching into the frog of the front foot and going up the forelimb and then how that fascia through the forelimb is connected to the brachial plexus, which is actually the nerve plexus that supplies all of the the nerve function for the forelimb. So having a healthy hoof uh, balance and the way that that hoof is interacting with the ground and in motion is going to influence like your your whole kind of forelimb function through the fascial connections let alone you know where the saddle is placed and all of that all of that stuff so yeah the connections are quite amazing what i love about this raquel is that you don't just talk about the subject you've gone into so much detail there so you know it's not sort of just a passing phase i think you're you're just a an artist at what you're doing you know you're going into so much detail um I've been lucky to learn from to learn from those types of people. Oh wow, yes, but you've still got to you know you've still got to want to do it, and I think that's important yes. to, to recognise that. Yeah. Now, the fascia obviously affects how our horses move, but can you just go into that area a bit more and just explain how does the fascia affect how our horses move? Yeah. So if we think about some of those connections, you know, that I've been talking about, then if those connections are restricted. So, for example, the dorsal line, the top line is the easiest one to imagine because we see a lot of horses where, you know, they're a little bit swayed back. And so those horses, so if you just, you know, stand yourself in a position and you hollow out your back and then you think about, say, trying to lift your hind legs or your legs and then thinking about trying to engage them or reaching forward with the nose, you can feel in your own body how difficult that is let alone with a rider, you know, saddle, whatever other gear on on your body. So horses that have a really contracted dorsal line 
they often will be spooky because they're struggling to to have kind of normal motion. They can't respond in a normal way, um, so they'll be a little bit more reactive. Um, and they can just find certain movements very difficult. So you've always got to keep this in mind. You know, if your horse doesn't have an optimal posture, then they probably have fascial contraction somewhere and how that can influence their behaviour. So we've got to be very careful with, with you know, how we describe our horse's behaviour and, and how we attend to that, those problems. But any kind of fascia that's tight or dehydrated, so, you know, sometimes you look at horses and you can see the muscle lines, like you can see the, the definition of the muscles. Well, in a horse with, like, really healthy fascia, you will not see that definition. Okay. So, it's an important thing to notice then, yeah. Yeah, it's really important to have a look at your horse and, and see which muscles are kind of poking out and why is that the case. Because if you see horses that have been, you know, well-maintained, they're doing good work and their fascia is really healthy, they'll just be like a fluid, smooth, balanced, and they'll generally be quite a happy horse mm -hmm. as well. So you're looking for that. That can indicate dehydrated and tight fascia. Sometimes you'll get it for other reasons, you know, like there's lots of insects around at the moment. So the flies are making them twitch a lot and you'll see muscle definition due to that and tight fascia due to, to that. The other kind of aspects of it, so I have a horse that's staying with me at the moment and he has a, a potential underlying muscle problem. And what I notice with him is, you know, his fascia gets tight, his, his hoof balance changes in a day, which, which is crazy. But the way that he's standing on his hooves, if his muscles and his fascia are tight, it changes that interaction of his hooves with the ground. And then when his muscles and fascia are nice and hydrated and soft, then his hooves sit in a completely different way with the ground. His posture, his whole posture is changed in that instance. And so that's all a part of fascial tension. So we've got to think about, and I don't know if you're familiar with Equine Documentalist, but like he talks about the, the relationship between the feet and the body and um, and how that's all interrelated. And fascia is a huge, huge part of that. Okay. Okay. Now I'm thinking, you know, because we often talk about variation in training to mm -hmm. change a horse's muscle structure, but this is obviously the fascia. So how can the variation in training help the fascia? Yeah, so variation in training is really important. And, you know, we often get stuck as riders kind of really focused on our discipline and you know, if we're doing dressage, we end up doing a lot of dressage training or if we're doing jumping, we end up doing a lot of jumping. And for the health of your horse's fascia, it's really important to have variation. So fascia loves variation and it thrives on, on having different types of movement. It really promotes that health. And one of the things that fascia doesn't respond well to is immobilization. And that doesn't mean just horses standing around. That can mean like your horse doing a certain movement you know, a lot of times in the day. So other areas are immobilized even though, you know, some areas are moving. So it's not always the whole body immobilized. It's like certain areas might not be moving because of the exercises that you're kind of sticking to. Yep, yep. So some examples of variation are like if you have a jumping horse, then, you know, if we just jump all the time, and I've actually seen this in my clients' horses where, you know, they'd get very kind of straight but in a, a not supple way so they're like 
very straight and they actually lose the ability to laterally flex. So they can jump the jump, but they don't have suppleness and flexibility. And in time, you know, they can end up with problems due to that. So having a jumping horse doing flexibility exercises, so it might be a little bit of lateral work, it might be your stretching that you do on the ground, it might be some in-hand work that you do before you get on, which I'll talk about. Um, For a dressage horse, it might be doing some gymnastic jumping, which creates a rebound effect in the fascia. It also, horses should have, you know, some hacking out, and just some some kind of long, easy kind of work, and that promotes lengthening and hydration. Um, I've talked about the lateral movements for flexibility. And then incorporating stretching in your routine, and we'll talk about that, and different types of stretches. Body work is great for helping the fascia with variation and hydration breaks, which I will talk a bit more about because that's probably super important in, in fascial health. But... Yeah, just don't get stuck in in training the same thing every day. Like really think about, okay, I'm going to have one or two jumping days. I'm going to have a dressage day. I'm going to have a hacking day. And then, you know, you might have another kind of training day in there specifically. But giving them kind of that variation throughout your, your training week and planning your training plan will be extremely helpful. Okay. And what type of stretching and mobilisation would you recommend? Can you go just into a little bit more detail here? Yeah, I think the important thing is to make sure that it's designed for your horse because some horses like have a tendency to be stiff. You know, so if you've got an older horse, so as fascia um, ages, it becomes less mobile, it becomes more stiff. Um and it loses some of it, that elasticity. So if you've got a, an older horse that's stiffer, you're going to want to have uh, stretches that promote more gentle mobility, um, making sure that you stay within a comfortable range of motion. If you have a horse that's, say, hypermobile, which you know some of our warm bloods these days are, then you're not going to want to hold stretches for very long. Like you, you want to make sure that everything is moving in a balanced way, but you don't want to overstretch them because you actually don't want to promote more mobility in their fascia. You want to promote not stiffness, but you want to promote strength in their fascia. So you're going to do a different type of stretching for that type of horse. But as a general kind of rule of thumb, you know, Before work, have a bit of a mobilisation plan, like how do you warm your horse's fascia up? So it might be that you do five minutes in hand before you hop on your horse, mobilising their shoulders and hindquarters, doing some lateral flexion of their neck and other kind of spinal opening moves, so very gentle kind of belly lifts or pelvic mobilisations and obviously you need to work with a qualified body worker to make sure that you're doing those correctly. And then after work, when the horse is warm, then you can promote more lengthening of the fascia. So you can have a little bit more holds in the stretches. Like generally we say not more than 30 seconds unless there's a specific reason that you want to lengthen a muscle. But the great thing about stretching after a session is that you leave the fascia. So even if it's become a bit compressed and stuck, you know, throughout the ride because they've had quite a hard workout, then doing some stretching after your ride, especially once you've taken the saddle off and everything, you can leave that fascia in a much healthier place. So then the recovery is much better for the horse. So then the next time you get on, you know, you're, you've improved from the time before because you left the body in the best 
possible place. And the other thing is make sure that you give the horse time between the stretches. And I'll, I'm going to talk about that, but it's not just the stretch itself that's, that's important. It's also the, the breaks in between. Is that the hydration breaks? Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? You know what you mean by the hydration breaks? Yeah, so the hydration breaks are time for the fascia to regain any water that's been squeezed out due to the compression. So it might have been compression in stretching or it might have been compression in the work that you're doing. So, you know, sometimes we get on our horse and then we ride it for like 40 minutes and the whole time, you know, we're asking them to do things and we don't often think about the fascia and that it needs time for hydration. So that could be that uh, in a young horse, for example, when we're conditioning the back to take a saddle, what we really should be doing is hopping on for five minutes, doing whatever we do, and then hop off for five, you know, three to five minutes. So we're actually giving that fascial hydration breaks without us in the saddle because it's still strengthening and and learning how to take the load of of us. So that's how we can help young horses and in that break you might be walking you might do a couple of little gentle stretches or some mobilization so you really help that fascia to move in a in a more conditioned horse in a more say high level performance horse it might be that you do you know a, a few steps of passage or or piaf but then you kind of go out into just a nice stretchy easy trot you know, letting them and sit up off their back a little bit and and let the fascia hydrate that way because collected work is obviously creating a lot of compression in the fascia. So, yeah, it's not just getting off. It's not just stretching. It's like what can you do within your work session to give the fascia a hydration break? And with that hydration break, you know, you said about just with the young horse, you know, about getting off their back, do you mean like getting up into two-point seat to get off their back or getting off completely? In the initial stages, getting mm. off completely. I don't think that we do enough of that, of that. And even a horse that, you know, is has been out of work for a very long time. So as they progress, they're just getting up off their, off their back. Um, but even getting up off their back, you know, they're still, they've still got to deal with our weight through them. They're still going to be prepped pressures coming from them, you know, our distribution of the weight. So yeah, actually getting off and using a mounting block like to get on and off uh, so that you're not putting extra strain on the horse's spine, especially when they're young and growing. You know what's really good about the mounting blocks? It's like, you know, when when you're young and fit and agile and you can get on without <laughs> a mounting block, you know, you, you just do it. But when you're older, you say, oh, no, I need a mounting block because I'm saving the horse's back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas we have to be able to use it when we're younger and realise we're actually still helping horses back then. Yes, and yes. It's, um, yeah, even though we feel young and agile and springy. <laughs> <laughs> now, to do with body work, how often would you recommend body work? Is there like a certain type of body work that the fascia responds better to? Yeah, fascia responds really well. And as I said, like about the variation, so like, we used to say myofascial work, a lot of that is kind of a slow melting type of work. So fascia loves that type of really slow slow and, and, and melting release. 
Massage can be just good for generally stimulating the circulation and helping with that hydration as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you might kind of incorporate some massage in there with some chiropractic. So obviously things like chiropractic by themselves are not going to be as hydrating to the fascia. So that'll correct, you know, restrictions, which will ultimately help the fascia. But if there's adhesions within the fascia in other areas away from where they're adjusting, you know, it's not necessarily going to have a direct effect on those. So that's where incorporating that with, say, some massage, some myofascial release. Bowen therapy is amazing on fascia, as is craniosacral therapy. Uh, That kind of is in in a different way. Um, And then some of your other tools, so like PEMF can be beneficial for the fascia and um, cupping. I haven't haven't used that, but I've seen some practitioners using cupping um, and taping. There's specific ways that you can tape to help with fascial hydration. So that can be beneficial. And in terms of how often, it's obviously going to depend on the practitioners that you have available to you and your horse's individual needs. And, you know, their underlying weaknesses, their workload, how well their equipment is fitting, your commitment as a rider. So, like, my really great clients, actually most of my clients, (laughs) you know, they do, like, they do their stretches in between. Like, I can tell when I come and treat their horse if they've been doing their homework. And when they have been doing it, you know, A, it means that I can be more effective in my treatment, but B, it means that, like, they're maintaining their horse much better so I don't have to treat them as often either Mm. (laughs) so but yeah I would say for a performance horse at least every four to six weeks having a a body worker look over your horse um and looking at the the everything you know the fascia and the restrictions the compensation patterns and making sure that everything is kind of balanced Okay, okay. Now, I do want to ask you what other factors influence the fascia, but can we talk about diet as well? You know, if, yeah. is diet important about that? So it's sort of like two questions there into one, but if you can talk about yeah. diet and then if there's anything else that we need to know as well. Yeah, so diet's really important in fascial health um, because of that hydration component, you know, and, and the water component of fascia. So the importance of salt So every horse should be fed salt. It's not something that they naturally get uh, in their diet. And obviously any horse that's working loses salt in sweat. So all horses should be supplemented with salt. A lack of salt will cause fascial tightness and dehydration. And then obviously having access to appropriate water sources. So it's not really a problem in Australia, but say in overseas where like the water freezes, so even though it's really cold, the horse still needs to drink. So some people have to warm up the water just because the horses won't drink as much when it's the water's super cold. It's not it's not a problem for their digestion or anything. It's just they just don't, you know, they just might not like it as much. So that could be a problem, but even just making sure that ice is broken and that they have access to, like, good kind of quality water... The other thing is to consider, you know, are there any kind of feeds within their diet that could be creating inflammation? So some horses can't deal with, or most horses can't deal with high sugars and starch. That creates inflammation in their body and especially if they've got any kind of underlying muscle disorders or Cushing's or metabolic disorders, you know, those things will influence the fascia. And, yeah, any kind of other dietary imbalances will 
you know, kind of, so if yours is just not looking right, the fascia is going to be affected. And we've got to remember that that fascia covers all of the organs as well. So if the organs aren't right, the fascia is going to be affected and, and vice versa. Um, so that's, yeah, with diet. And then with what other factors influence the horse's fascia, it comes back to, you know, the good old things that influence everything, but like saddle fit, obviously we're sitting on those fascial lines. We have a girth around the fascial lines. Um, the latissimus dorsi, which comes down from the saddle area at the back of the forelimb to the inside of the shoulder, like that is involved in numerous myofascial lines. So if we're restricting that, we're restricting, I think it's involved in three of the myofascial lines. So saddle fit's hugely important. Uh, rider symmetry and compensation. So, you know, are, are you getting treated? How is your fascia? <laughs> Do you have fascial restrictions? Um, because that's going to influence your symmetry and your connection with the horse and what they're feeling through their back um, and through their fascia. And then I mentioned hoof balance. That's, you know, I talked about the connections to the hoof uh, through the myofascial lines. But, yeah, hoof balance um, is going to determine posture, which is going to determine the tension through the fascial lines and the teeth. So making sure the teeth are regularly balanced, you know, it might be 6 to 12 months, making sure that the bit is fitting the horse and it suits the, the, the horse's conformation because that tongue is, and I think I talked about this in the hyoid, you know, the connection of the tongue to the stifle, but also through the fascial lines, that tongue is connected in to the organs as well. So when you follow that fascia in in through the, the heart and lungs and, and through the other internal organs. So fit fit is, is really important um, from from that perspective. So yes, I think that covers Well, you know, I think that we touched on a subject but it just leads to so many other things and so many other questions and so many other areas of the horse that we need to know more about so I'm looking forward to getting you back again I think you know there's always going to be more and more and more yeah now if people would like to contact you directly though what's the best way I mean if they're it's a bit hard with um you know lockdowns or even out of lockdown if they're too far away for you to travel is there something you can do? Can you help them online, do any online consults or anything like that? You know, how can people contact you for anything that they need? Yeah, so um, I have a Facebook page, Integrated Veterinary Therapeutics. Um, so you can contact me through that. Um, or probably the easiest way rather than call me is message me on my phone. So 0435 Um, And, yes, I am offering online rehab consultations or even, you know, just to discuss your training plan and how how you could, um, you know, improve that for your longevity and performance of your horse. But but also if you have a diagnosed injury and you want to plan for that or you just want an assessment of your horse and some help in setting up, you know, some exercises to improve them and I'm happy to collaborate well, I, I really prefer like collaborating with vets and other body workers. So, you know, even if you have a body worker, I can work in collaboration with them to help set up a plan. And yeah, and I also offer some in-person clinics when you know COVID permits in kind of anatomy and biomechanics and assessment. So for body workers, but also for horse owners. So yeah. So if there's a group of people, a group of friends or a club or something, 
there was a few of them and they'd like to get you. Are you happy to travel for them? Yep. yep. Okay. I'm organising clinics um, at the moment, so we've got a few happening in Victoria and New South Wales uh, and the HTT okay. um, over, over this year. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, look, all I can say is that, you know, you just you keep going deeper and deeper and then you do something else and then all of a sudden that's connected to that and this is connected <laughs> there. And, you know, I, th I think, yeah, love to get you back, Rachel. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Glenis. It's, it's great to catch up with you. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 